okay. Okay. Are we okaying? We are okaying. <laughs> I'm so pleased we're okay, Dan. Yeah, we are okay. After all this time, we're still okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> everybody. Everybody up in the club. Um, speaking of the club, we've got uh, quite the guest today. Yes. Uh, uh, somebody who I definitely had heard his most popular song before, but I didn't. Even, had no idea they were in Hawks Bay. Had no idea that. I don't even know if I knew they were. Yeah, he was Kiwi. See, that's the thing. A nation of treasures. Yeah. A province of absolute treasures. Mm. You know, not not just living in Hawke's Bay, but from here. You know, spent childhood here. So Daryl Thompson, um, better known as DLT, is our guest this week. Um, you know, one of the founding fathers and now Kuros, you could say, of Aotearoa hip hop. Um, Dan, his turntable scratching skills can be heard on um, New Zealand's first real rap single, which you learned was called Etu by mm-hmm. a band called Upper Hut Posse. And of course, you know, awesome he produced the, um, the colossal banger Chains, which was uh, number one back in 1996 and paved the way for vocalist Shay Fu's solo career. But um, what did we learn about, about Daryl, DLT? Well, I learned a lot. I mean, I think he's a pure artist that's yeah. for sure and uh um really interesting background and i thought mm. what was really cool was somebody you know speaking personally from it somebody who's from a completely different part of the world and completely different background i felt like i had so much in common musically with that guy like especially because of his was it his mother's records and everything? Yes, his mother's so his mum, yeah, his mum, gosh, I would have loved to have known her back in the day. She sounded like she had an amazing record collection. Because that's, I, you know, he, I didn't know this, but um, he grew up in the Napier suburb of Marainui. And thanks to his mother, it was uh, Kraut Rocker's craft work yeah, that craft changed work. his life. So you kind yeah. of think... DLT craft work. Mm, yeah. How does it happen? But you, you know, he he kind of goes on to tell us how that completely um, tipped him on his axis and uh, you know cemented him as. Um, it reminded me of when I met the old drummer for, from Seeking Homer, the band I used to manage back in the day. Oh, yeah. He's a kid from a kid who grew up in the Bronx, and he was obsessed with Rush. Oh, Rush! You know, like, yeah, well. you know, prog rock, Canadian, hard Absolutes. rock, amazing musicians, but the drumming, particularly Neil Peart, he was obsessed with, and I thought, huh. man, how does a kid from the Bronx get into it's, Neil It's Peart? having great parents. It's having yeah. parents that expose you it know, was family them to great in his music. Case as well, yeah. Um, so what else is great about um, talking to Daryl is that, yeah, so, you know, not only is he, you know, one of the Southern Hemisphere's most influential hip-hop personalities, he's also an incredibly talented painter. Um, and, in fact, he ditched Auckland to move home here to Hawke's Bay um, to be closer to his whanau and his whenua um, and went to work kind of exploring his artistic abilities and far out, you know, he's had some cracking exhibitions. Um, you know, he's just an absolute gem, one of the loveliest loveliest humans that I know. Um, and now I see him around Hawke's Bay. Now you see him all the time. Yeah, this is yeah. what happens. Once you, you know, you meet someone and it's like they're, they're, they're in your, in your orbit all the time. He's a devoted dad. He's a granddad. He's a font of knowledge, musical knowledge, social knowledge, 
just he just drops it all. It's so cool. So um, you're going to find out more if you stick around. Strong mind and a righteousness to him too as well. A definite yeah. righteousness. Um, yeah, yeah. Daryl Thompson, everyone. Cheers. And is this one okay where it is here? It sounds it's awesome, actually. suitable. So you've been at managed bands in America. Yeah, I just worked with a band uh, mostly out of the Bronx. Um, Fuck out of here. And they were, uh, but they were a rock band. <laughs> and, the uh, only rock band in the Bronx? Yeah. So, well, the two, the, the rhythm section was from the Bronx. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the, uh, the, two, the two singers were white boys, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but really great harmonies. The drummer, uh, who was really, I thought, well, he was the best pure musician in the band. Was a real Bronx kid, Puerto Rican kid, and uh, well, he was older than me. I say kid, but uh, he like had such music knowledge. Like he loved Rush, you know. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he loved the Beatles. He loved yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like all music. But he could break dance. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, he really was a Bronx people. kid. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And so, take. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He knew how to spray paint really well. Um, and uh, so there was a it was a pretty interesting group, yeah. you know. And, yeah, and but they could sing their asses off, and they could write songs. So they were um, cool. Yeah, they got uh, five albums, I think. One double disc from the Wetlands in New York. That was probably their their best. But it was like real indie time, and then Napster hit, and oh, okay. everything just kind of so changed. Early 90s. Late no late nineties, and then Napster hit like two thousand one oh, okay. or two yeah. when we were yeah. on the road, and then. Everybody, they got, they actually got more popular then because more people heard their music, but yeah. their album no sales money. just, mm. we hadn't figured yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole thing out yet. Yeah, yeah, we're. And so we were getting opening and playing gigs all over North America, but you know, no deal. Yeah. And cause everybody was scared and uh, yeah. no streaming obviously yet. And yeah. so it was just kind of a strange time and they were a little older than me. They started having kids and stuff. So. I went back Should to my change. family's bar and started working there again and got into mm. wine and here we are. Yeah. And with it, maybe, have we recorded? We started recording. I don't know if I put all that in there, but we'll see. Oh, you so did. You're so clever. Mm. So we should probably... Introduce some... Yeah. Some as oh, as Fred Dagg would say, kick it in the guts. Kick it in the guts. Kick it in the guts. Okay. Yeah. So um, welcome to Bays of Our Lives, Daryl, DLT, <laughs> Thompson. Daniel's yeah. just having a little fiddle with, with my mic. Um, with your um, yeah. 60. <laughs> with my pink, <laughs> this pink, bulbous, yeah. you know. It's a sex toy, Fana. If you can't see it, I'll describe it to you. My mu- they only had pink. I went it's to Noel Leeming and it. that's all they had was Different a pink-coloured Yeti <laughs> microphone. A pink-coloured Yeti. It's a pink-coloured Yeti from Noel Leeming's, and I'm fucking proud of it. Makes you look like a 14-year-old Instagrammer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daryl Thompson. Yeah. DFT, did I see that? DLT. DLT. What did you say, DFT? Daryl fucking Thompson. Daryl fucking Thompson. (laughs) I'm down with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my wife calls me. Oh, fuck. This is such a um, it's such a buzz having you here at um, in our little base of our lives room having a huddle with us because 
You know, we're here, we're in Hastings, Hawke's Bay, and for a lot of people in New Zealand, they would, I don't think they would know that you live here, that you're yeah, a Hawke's Bay person. They'd assume so you're an Aucklander. They'd assume you're an Aucklander. Yeah. Um, and so I guess we want to kind of boil down to what, like, you were born here or you... I was um, actually born in Wally. Okay. My folks were in the Air Force by this time and... Wait, folks many. in the Air Force? Yeah, yeah. I come from the Air Force. Okay. Yeah. Um, my parents lived in all the Air Force bases around the Muti. Yeah. Um, by the time I came along, I was the third child, so mum had kind of left the service. What did she do in the service? She was a, um, what do you call it? Um, she worked on the telephone exchange. Ah, uh, okay. T- uh, exchange operator. Yeah, one um, of those. That stuff. Yeah. yeah. She travelled around the world a bit. In the Air Force. You know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Went to Fiji and stuff like that. Now, my mum was a mighty girl from Omahu. You know, there's yeah. not many chances of getting out in the 50s and 60s on no. big aeroplanes around the world. So, yeah, did her the world of good. Yeah. And your dad? Same thing. Oh, yeah. white guy from Wainui Omata. My grandparents on my father's side were of European descent. Kind of what I get the gist of is my grandmother was Jewish and my grandfather was German. Interesting. So they ended up over here pre-World War Two. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Very wise move. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. So my dad met my mum in the service and they fell in love and made my brother and I, we had another brother, he passed away. But, mm. um, yeah, so that's, we end up here because my mum's parents were from here. From Omahu, yeah. Yeah, and even further up, um, Kawera, yep. which is like five, ten k's past Omahu. Yeah, so they came from there. Um, my mum moved back here after her and my men split up, mm. and um, we ended up in Omahu. So I went to Fernhill Primary, and then mum got a you know that was my grandmother's house, and it's like a four bedroom house with thirty people living in it. Kind is of the life. house still there? Yep. Great. Survived the flood. Just. Amazing. Because yeah. there are so many houses that, that yeah. didn't through that whole area. Yeah. Fortunately, I had some onto relations staying in the house at the time who got everything under control real fast. Thank so, goodness. yeah, very good. So, yeah, I spent time in Omahu. Um, to me, it's the center of the universe. It's the place where I'm naked. You know what I mean? As soon as I cross the bridge, feel the place, um, it's incredible for me. Now, living in Auckland for 30 years, you only came home for funerals. Yeah. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad occasion. Uh, and about 2014, my mum got sick, and I came home to hold her hand while she died. Right. right. I get the phone call in Auckland. Hey, it's your mum's doctor. She got four days. Whoa. So I bolted down here, held her hand. Three years later. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing because it's great. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's this... like, you fucked my life. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> she got one foot in heaven and one foot here. It's I like, that's it. my mum's ultimate place. <laughs> like, it's her spot. Just stayed there for ages. Looking at me going, eh. It's like, yeah, classic. Yeah. yeah, it was. So um, in that time, because I had decided that Auckland can have its traffic. Yes. And its drugs. Yes. And all the lies and deception. And I just, I never thought I'd come back to the Bay to live. I was headed to Barcelona next. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you get paid to be an artist. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes they do. Yes, so my dream was to go there. But um, like I said, with my mum, stuff happened with my mum, my younger sister, and I mean younger sister, she's in her 40s, um, said to me one day, it's going to be so scary when mum's gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh. Do you think you could stay, hang around? <laughs> and your I, heart is just going... Well, oh, you know, it's your sister. You yeah. hate them and love them to death, you know, at the same time. And it was like, I feel you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll make an effort to stay. So I had to make an effort to not want to go back to Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, though, because it was, it was similar for me when I moved back to Hawke's Bay. I never thought that I would move back to Hawke's Bay. You would. Yeah, I never thought We're I was. We're great promotion, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, <laughs> But it was a time, like back, it was a it was a different sort of mindset and different time, and and all my friends told me I was being, I would, it was nuts. You'll be back. Yeah. So like, what are you going there? It's career suicide, Yvonne. Ah, you know. Career suicide. And Far but out. don't we live? Isn't that in, the machine talking or what? It is. It totally is. It absolutely is because you know now they all want to live here, and a lot of them are. You know, a lot of our friends are here now, yep. and why yep. why wouldn't you be? Because we live in paradise. I also have a lot of friends in Auckland who are stuck. They can't get out of the thing. Big Brother's got them by the ankle. Yeah, yeah. He's just holding them with this invisible hand. And they're all like, ah, ah, I've got to pay $1,000 a week rent. Ah, ah. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah craziness. Crazy. Whereas down here, oh, I don't know, because I, I kind of still resent myself for being here a wee bit. Not the career thing. I guess it is. It's it the is money it? thing. It's the money thing. Yes, yeah, the cash. Yeah. yeah. Auckland seems to be a place where I could go to a cafe and leave there with a job. Yes, because it's a place of networking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the bay, you go to the cafe and you don't know anyone. And it's six dollars <laughs> fifty a sausage <Yeah>. roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do miss that aspect of um, people mm. connecting. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I have to do it here in Hastings. I have to drive up and down here to Tonga Street to see people. Yeah. I need to see and feel presence of people do you go out do you go to gigs and things do yes. you um good yes. yeah not to all the you know typical hastings gigs like beatles covers bands <laughs> oh, i don't what? do any of that shit those things are great <laughs> I, I don't like paisley park but i forget ends of you know <laughs> what is it leppy zeppelin what oh, the fuck oh yeah there's a lot of tribute. give me some cashmere any you know, day we but... love a tribute band in hawks bay Ooh, we love we, them we oh, personally me no but whitney houston i think I saw but they're, they're a big I, I, one whitney lookalike yeah i think there was one she's a faxmere <laughs> she sells crack yeah <laughs> i read though i read though daryl that when you were little and you were living in um <clears throat> not in Omahu, in marainui is yeah. that right yeah yeah that you um that the music that was in your household was not necessary because you know you are you're a hip hop icon in New Zealand or certainly in this part of the world, but the music that in those early days was not hip hop. That you were actually <laughs> On a rock Bronx kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, look, cause my I grew up in a house with the stereo on twenty four seven. Yeah. Okay. Because my mother was afraid of the dark. Huh. Okay. Personal life of my mum as a young person, she was a fair-skinned Māori girl in a yep. black village. Hmm. She got dealt to. Oh. Yeah. So she was afraid of the dark. So we had music going 24-7, which I still have. Sometimes I get out of bed with my wife and I go to the lounge and I turn the TV on and I lie there and go to sleep. Yeah. You know, that's when I'm feeling mum, I guess. Anyway, she, I grew up listening to Moody Blues, Black Sabbath, Uriah Heep, 
Pink Floyd. Um, tons and tons of it. I've still got I've got my mum's record collection. I sampled these songs in my hip-hop career. Yeah. Um, in the sampling days, cats in Auckland were like, how do you get that big fucking sound? Because it was on Finn Lizzy, 1976. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not sampling Usher records, that's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sampling John Bonham's 19-inch Ludwig kick, okay? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, as a young kid with these records, these albums, I opened them up. Mm. Wizard's Birthday, one of my favourite albums ever. I don't tell people that because I think that's not very rap of you. You're supposed to like Tupac and Biggie. I can't stand that shit. But, anyway... In these record covers, I remember opening them up in the 70s and studying what was going on in them. That's a big-ass drum kit. That's a that's a big amp, you know. So, yeah, I paid attention. Mm. My mum was also an amazing guitarist. Ah, yeah. okay. She came from a family of 15 kids. They could all play. What? They had no TV, no, none of that shit. That's incredible. So my mum could smash a 12-string. Very oh, inspirational. Nice. Yeah. Whoa. Like no, Ghost Riders, cool. all that shit. Yeah. So um, I, when I got to Welly and decided <laughs> to have a go at making some music, the last thing I wanted to be was the guitarist. So I read that you were a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Did it take long to pick up the drums? How did, how, are you good? I was are you a really, good drummer? No, I was really bad for a long time oh. because I thought I wanted to drum and I knew that syncopation of the body is, is a skill that you have to learn, so... So as a young kid, we played with the, the plastic chopsticks on the stools yep. in the lounge to all the music I loved. Um, I just had to buy my own drum kit, and I remember buying it in like 1986, and I bought a snare from one guy and a kick from another guy and a dumb hi-hat from another guy. <laughs> dumb and, hi-hat. You know, well, you know <laughs> one of those really unpolished, bad-shaped ones that just goes... <laughs> and um, had this this kit for ages and I kind of taught myself the basic enough to hold a song okay so just fall on the floor and just hold a song then we um started a band when I was 16 and what was the name of that that was the Upper Heart Posse and that was Upper Heart Posse was yeah. the first one and when you were 16 yeah. and we were um we were musicians we played mm. instruments we were young kids playing instruments sounded like trash we, rec- we were clever enough to record ourselves in our shed when we were kids and we end up... How did, what did you record on? On a tape deck with a okay. blanket over it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. Yeah. We, stuck, we stuck some of their shit on an album 25 years later. You can and hear it, it on Up like? Possum, on, on Up Up Posse albums. Um, funny. A bit. It sounds, actually, it sounds pure and raw and beautiful. Yeah. Compared to... A tape deck Contrived crap now. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Because I think a lot of people don't, don't know that. I mean, they... They remember Upper Hut Posse, you know, remembering how big they were and that they was, had never, New Zealand had never seen anything like Upper Hut Posse. Yeah. They hadn't. Yeah. And it just blew our minds. It was like but, 1987, we're like kind of Wu Tangy. Yeah, so where yeah, did that come from? It was how did crazy. you find that music? And, you know, what were you, li- uh, you said you were listening to some, sound like some rock stuff. Oh, I grew up listening to rock, yeah. In 1977, my mum come home with an album. Friday, fr- one, once a month on a Friday night, mum would go into town, come home with five or six albums. Records, yeah. Yeah. Um, she came home one day with Kraftwerk. Ah. Oh. It was in the 70s. Mm. And I remember I um, used to clean the house to it. And it was the first syncopated shit I'd ever heard. 
right? So there was feels in music. It's good housework all music. Sudden, all of a sudden there was no feel. It was like this fucking completely rigid yeah. vibe, okay? So for my young mind at that time, I would have been 11, mm. maybe, the universe got flipped on its head. I went from this kind of soulful Michael Jackson could slide along the lounge floor while vacuuming kind of vibe to... And it was like, all of a sudden, my body changed. Like, became this jerky guy. And it was kind of like weird. I didn't, didn't register anything more than if I dance like that at the disco, I'll get laughed at. Luckily, they don't play craft work at discos in Napier. No. Yeah. So anyway, shoot forward five years, and oh, maybe four or five years, and I hear Planet Rock for the first time. Yeah. And what the fuck? I know this shit. Why do I know this shit? Why is this singing to me and no one else? Why is no one else in the room jerking and twitching? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my mate said, I can remember it clearly because the bro got a seven inch of Planet Rock in 1981, sent away to Blues and Soul in England, was a magazine yeah. with an order form on the back. Because that's the way you had to do it. Yeah. And the bro goes, got a bunch of records. Sevens with big holes in the middle, a silver seven, and held it up, and it was Planet Rock. I did not know that that moment he pulled that record out of that brown fucking paper bag and showed it to me, that my whole world was going to move in a completely different direction from that moment. We put the damn record on and... And, we, if you're hearing this at the moment, this is Dan um, opening, opening a lozenge. Yeah, so I don't cough in the microphone. <laughs> you heard it first. Yeah, so that was um, crazy, crazy stuff. Wow. It, it introduced me to drum machines yep. and synthesizers and so forth. So how did you meet? How did you meet your crew for Upper Heart Posse? Like, how did that all come together? And how did you? Because you're all playing instruments. And Basically, like-minded kids living on the same street mm. met up um, late night shopping in Lower Hutt Thursday late nights. Night Catch the bus back to Upper Hutt at 9.45, oh, 8.45. It was so great. Yeah. There was this guy at the bus stop. He had a big JVC tape deck with a guitar rope on it. I thought that's pretty cool. And he was being accosted by these two gang members. This guy was little, like oh, yeah. five, five. Oh, little, not, yeah. Not that big. Mm. These gangsters were accosting him, and he wasn't backing down to them. He's like, come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in, you're fucking shit, come on in. And I was like, this guy, who's this guy? <laughs> and I asked one of my bros at the bus stop, who's that fella? He said, oh, that's so-and-so, he's crazy. <laughs> oh, I like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on the bus ride home, we were just staring at him like... Oh, so he got on your bus? Yeah, we were on the same bus, going oh, to yeah. the same place, yeah. And... I was like, that guy, okay. Didn't introduce myself. You're shy. When you're a 17 year old mighty kid, yeah, you know, fucking go, hey, how are you doing? No. I thought that was a cool move you just did. No, <laughs> no you just sit there and watch each other. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, he's two doors down at a friend's house partying. And we ended up getting on the piss and finally met him. And we started that shit. Mm. And we will be right back. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting, tingling, ting. 
Oh yeah, Christmas time, sleigh bells and Christmas trees and a bunch of other stuff that makes no sense for December in New Zealand. But you know what does make sense? Uh, Christmas specials on our Decibel Wines website. Just go up there, check it out. We got all kinds of great deals going on. And don't forget the best little wine shop in Hastings, Decibel Central. We will be open for regular hours during Christmas and New Year's holidays. That's Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Always a good idea to hop on the website and make a booking, or you can just drop in. But if we know you're coming, we can always take better care of you. And December 22nd, this is important, guys, if you're listening to us a little later. Uh, and, you know, for those of you listening when this episode comes out and you want to have some anticipation going, we've got the release of our Decibel Wine story. Finally, our little video, little short documentary we did in uh, during Vintage and in Philadelphia over the course of uh, the past year uh, with videographer and photographer extraordinaire Michael Farr uh, running the show on this one. He's done a great job. Can't wait for you guys to see it. If you're a bandwagon or club Decibel member, Hit us up at info at decibelwines.com and you can stop by the shop on Thursday the 21st in the afternoon evening and check out the premiere and mix it up with our extended wine family of growers and winemaking buddies. We always love to take care of our our peeps, our club members, and uh, yeah, it should be a fun little evening. We're going to black out the windows and premiere this little 10-12 minute little documentary and uh, hopefully we'll see you then. If you're not in the club, sign up. That's one of the benefits. We got all kinds of cool stuff happening. And yeah, lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. Okay, let's get back to the show. 1987, we were writing rap songs. Amazing. I was listening to fucking Schooly D and shit like Schooly that. D. Yeah. And this is in Wellington, hey. still my man, yeah. Yeah. I have a theory, uh, probably somebody else would have the same theory, but I have a theory that the best bands, especially back in the day, were like gangs from their neighborhood, you know, whether it was Cypress Hill or U2, they, they're like a group that comes out of a place that you go, man, these guys are, and it could be girls, got whatever it is, yeah, they're yeah. like, Kraftwerk is a good example, they're like yeah. this group of people out of the talking heads, they're like, they're out of lower Manhattan, who are these guys? I've never seen anybody like that, they're like a yeah, gang of, different. Yeah. and they're like, a unit because yeah. they like came from the same place, you know, mm. before the mm. idea of like the super groups and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, or yeah. like studio musicians behind a singer or something that, you yeah. know, the best groups are like, you know, like a gang from a neighborhood. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's what we literally were. We could literally feel each other and mm. just gravitate and shit would happen. Yep. Things would create themselves from collected energy. And there's a shared sort of dialogue there yeah. share, a shared uh, history of you mm. guys know these songs you know those grooves yeah because you all heard yeah. them out of each other's windows and everything that's right, right. exactly right and, and clubs, when you're on the you know. piss play my favorite song yeah. everyone has to listen to it mm. and it becomes an anthem and yeah yeah all that stuff that's that's how the band grew and uh, where did you play like were you booked like did you play at pubs and things or did were you just were you simply just recording stuff in your shed and then get you know trying to send music to what radio stations and things or how okay. how did you get no how did okay. people how did i find out <laughs> yeah how did, you how did i find out about right. abaha posse okay we were um just young kids 
Like we had an eleven-year-old and a fourteen-year-old in the band. Dean and I were the elders at seventeen. Okay. Okay. We yeah. entered a. It's Dean Harpeter. Yeah. Yeah. We entered a um, talent quest. In Wellington. It was a rap talent quest in Taita. And Taita's in Hutt Valley, behind a basketball stadium. Someone organised a rap competition. Okay. So all these kids from Purirua, from Wellington, Hutt Valley, all showed up, all teenage kids, ready to do their um, Will Smith, (laughs) Girls of the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble raps. Okay. Yep. We show up. Like the Wu-Tang Clan, okay? <laughs> There's like 16 of us holding keyboards and guitars with dreadlocks and leather jackets. We weren't a gang, but in the neighbourhood where we lived, you had to act accordingly. It's like wearing yeah. red and Hastings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, the Talent Quest organisers looked at us and said, no. <laughs> no. No. No, this is for no. little children to do hey diddle diddle rhymes, okay? Yeah. So we said, okay, well, can we just... Ice Ice Baby. Yeah. Can we just do a show, a piece? We bought all this gear we've set up. So we were like a a show, an exhibition. Okay, right. Okay. Okay. So not in the competition, more of an exhibition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we um, then, a person came to that gig and watched from the back. And his name was George Hubbard. Huh. Mm. The George Hubbard. Yeah. Mm. And the George Hubbard liked what he saw with us. Was something new. We had fucking 909 drum machine on the stage and a Mr. Boss Man and fuck, we thought we were shit hot. <laughs> and um, he became management. Then he shopped us. Right. Yeah. So he's the one that went, put a cassette yeah. in your tape deck record. and record in your shed and yeah. I'll take it to some radio stations yeah. or whatever. Or yeah. record companies. And he... Yeah, record companies. Okay. And we applied for funding for uh, a grant. Yep. It's like three grand. From it's a lot of money in the, at the late Council. 80s. A lot of money. I didn't see a fucking cent. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Shady. Oh. Shady kids. Okay. I understand. Anyway. Um, yeah. So we went to like, we went to Trevor, Ricky and people like that. And J-Rem. Yeah. And went to, um, like Herbs were kind of like, we're going to be like them. They're a bunch of horries, bunch of poly kids making shit. Okay. I so told you about the herbs last week, Dan. Oh, yeah, no, I've got them on some mixes and stuff. Yeah. Some friends gave me that as soon as I arrived Good. in New Zealand. Okay. So we went to their label. I went, hey, cheer. And the guy goes, fuck out of here with your Wu Tang clan looking shit. <laughs> this is in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Fuck out of here, you little scrubs. Because, like I said, we had dreadlocks and fucking. And you looked attitude. mean, I yeah, would yeah, say. Yeah. Like you did actually look as a bunch. Yeah, oh, to, a whole bit scary. Yeah, to poor old Aucklanders, we were. Yeah. They wouldn't have known. We're like Muslims, yeah. you know. Mm. Yeah, and we were. We were rocking Farrakhan gear and stuff like that. We were fully in the hip hop consciousness, you know. In the Malcolm I'm listening to KRS One and fucking Professor Griff and all kinds of full on shit. Time. By that time, CDs are making their way around. Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So well, you, late 80, I kind of feel like. I was a vinyl guy. I was a vinyl guy. You're still doing vinyl, yeah. yeah. I've got 10,000 records at home. Mm. Oh, Skype. We need to have. <laughs> Try moving. So, <laughs> <laughs> like me and my books. <laughs> yeah, same fucking thing. Like 110 <laughs> boxes there look alike. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Carry so, um, yeah, I was a vinyl collector. 
um, from my mum doing what she did, like yeah. I told you about the craft work shit. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah. So you get that you get known, um, you get signed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, signed? we didn't get signed. Oh, didn't you? Okay, no one would sign us. Huh. We got a grant, so we made a single. Out of Welly, JRM gave us a one single deal. And the name of that single was Ear Two. That's right. Yeah. yeah Ear Two. Yeah. Which means to stand people up. that yeah stand yeah. up. So stand up. This is like 1986. Yep. We saw we lived the statistics in 1985, 86, 87. Um, if we weren't into hip hop, we wouldn't have cared. We would have just carried on being go to the pub on Friday, go to work. But hip hop was like someone's lying to you out there in conscious rap, saying they say this, but in reality it's this. And we metaphorically did the same science and deciphering here in Aotearoa about the plight of Māori folk yep. and how we're lazy um, all the all the stereotypes, stereotypes that we're not allowed to use really anymore. They've, they've They've been addressed, most of them. Um, like in any culture, though, because there's the bad apples and the good apples. True. So, you know, we're going to wear these labels forever. But hip-hop was like, you can sleep better at night if you educate yourself. Mm. You can go to the library and read books. A funny, here's a funny side thing. When we were 16, 17-year-olds, they were hard on Thursday night at late-night shopping across the road from the spacey parlour where 9,000 kids hung out, was the library. Right. Right. So Thursday night, the library's open until 9 o'clock at night. Thursday night, all the kids would go across the road from the spacey park and get drunk in the garden of the library. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting there one night, bored off our tits, watching drunk idiots doing the same thing every Thursday night, and turned around and looked in the window of the library and went, We should go in there. Should we go and have a look? Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you want to go in there for? Well, our first thing was, who's this Malcolm X guy that these uh, rappers keep yeah. going on about? Had no idea who Malcolm was and James Brown. They were kept away from Aotearoa because they might stir the natives up. Mm. It's true, they were. Yeah. Away. Mm. So go into the library as half-drunk kid, pull out the drawer, M, the long drawer with the... With the little cards. <laughs> <laughs> All the way to Malcolm X. Bro, here he is. Fuck, what rack is he on? It's on so shelf B. Because you knew your duodecimal system. Yeah, yeah. You were able to find. We were able to find what we were looking for. <laughs> so that began the re-education of DLT. Huh. It was um, the autobiography of Malcolm X read it three or four times mm. because I couldn't comprehend most of the what I was reading. I couldn't see it. Did it frustrate you that um, that? In general, hip-hop kids in New Zealand at that time and going forward, many, like, did not, were not aware? No. Didn't want I was to, too busy too being busy liberated in myself. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Honestly. So how did you go from being um, little band, Wellington, to Auckland in the early 90s and yeah. everything just kind of, you just kind of tsunamied across <laughs> the New Zealand Here we go. We're back, space. We're back to the bay. Okay. It's because I'm from the bay, I've got an outward disposition. 
The Stay sun's more. always going to shine. It's always a beautiful day. Even if you're in skanky Auckland, your mind can go back to Waimarama Beach, just like that. <laughs> and you're outward looking again. Mm. It's, that's the joy of being from here. Mm. Is we have a very positive outlook if you're from the bay. And it's, I blame I the sun. Right. It's the sun's fault. Yeah. If you're from um, a cold, dank place in the middle of the island, you're not so skibbity boo and uppy do. You're kind of, you're kind of. That's a quote. You know, <laughs> in the bay, we wake up and we hear yeah. the birds and we look and we see the sun and we're all like, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Right? Let's go down the river. Go let's to Tuhoi. Let's look at Timata Peak. Go let's to Tuhoi. The sun comes yes. up at 9.30 and you're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> the day's half over. Yeah, yeah. So I believe that that's that outward yeah. kind of thinking. Like, I'm, um, I'm from Rainui and Omahu, and I was such a social freak. Mm. I love people. Yeah. I love shit. That's why you say, hey, come and do this. The only one answer, yes. <laughs> was yeah. it because I went, please say no, yes? No. no. <laughs> it's, because it's, it's because you're close. Yeah. Now I have the real hip-hop mentality of it's within 5Ks, it's on. Do you know, the, yeah. I mean, there's that... The conspiracy thing out there now, Dan, about well, the fifteen-minute cities. Have you heard about that? That people are anti it. The anti things being so close and easy to get to. Have you heard about that? I, I can see it creates things like dis-ease. Yeah, for sure. Weird. Wait, I, like so, I think I know what you're talking about. But yeah, fifteen minutes. Anyway, sorry. Just you just <laughs> not saying everything being within five k's or like it's, it's, it's doable like the, it's it's doable and there's it's, no excuses no and it's almost like it's like the food system you've heard of the locavore system mm. yeah so we, yeah. if you can get your food from within a certain kilometer range yep. then it's then like, it's good for the right. planet it's good food mm. that's right mm. and you 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 it tastes f- different too that's right yeah. because you feel better about yourself making an effort to mm. not um abuse the privilege of eating true yeah. But back to Auckland. Yeah. How did this all start? So you move from Wellington right. to Auckland and things start freaking... Oh, this is a good one. This things good start one. rolling There's, at an unfathomable pace for yeah. you. There's six of us in Upper Hutt, right, who have decided that we're going to make a go of this. Yeah. Okay, we all had jobs. Okay. I was an apprentice carpenter when this happened. Huh, so you can whip up a... I'm a chippy. Yeah. So you can whip up a set of shelves, playhouse. That. Everybody in New Zealand has a slang for a job or, or you know what do they call it in philly dan just a carpenter a carpenter oh yeah, yeah. Oh. see that we save that for jesus yeah, yeah. i'm a chippy <laughs> and being a maori chippy we're chocolate chippies because <laughs> oh that is gold yeah so uh, my grandmother said go to university like your big brother fucking smart ass or get a trade and i went trade it is because of the melanin in my my body I got tended to be pushed down the back of the class. Huh. Because of my outward kind of appearance, oh, okay, you're a ditzy clown. Get down the back with, with the rest of the rugby players. So I got treated like that at school, so I had this, I built this fuck you attitude at uh. school. The day I finished school, I wrote in capitals ever since, until I got a cell phone and people said, stop shouting. <laughs> <laughs> So I wrote in capitals as a a point. Yeah. Like, I want to destroy schools because of the lies. Well, they they didn't take you seriously. No. And I was the most serious motherfucker you could ever come across. (laughs) The track record, 
shows it all. Oh, that makes what we've done that. for society mm. and for the children who aren't here mm. yet is way more than they could ever, you know. I just worked it out. Look, in, in the fifth form at Napier Boys High School, there was my brother done um, town planning at Varsity. Mm, After I left school, he schooled me up. Okay. okay. Anyway, one of the things was in the fifth form at Napier Boys High, there was 154 kids from Rainui. The next year, four of us made sixth form. Four? Four of us. And we felt bad. For we the could, others. For wearing long trousers and nomads walking through Rainui. is like, look at that fag. You think you're smart. You think you're clever. Yeah, so it was kind of brutal. That is brutal. This, this all pushed me towards hip hop because, hmm. you know, when hip hop came along and said, tell people the truth, I was like, I'm so there. And we'll be back after the break. How do everyone? My name's Yvonne Lawkin, and I'm the co founder and chief tasting officer of winefringe.co.nz, the best wine subscription service in all the land. And it's the best because my team and I hunt high and low to find delicious wines that we match to your individual taste buds. We do, by science. And then we deliver them to your door at a price and frequency that suits you. Essentially, we match wine to people. Now, we know you want to try new wines, we know you're curious, but we also know that it's really hard to break free from those boring, same old, same olds from the supermarket. So we take the hassle and the guesswork out of choosing great wines, because if I know how your taste buds work, then you can trust me to go and find those wines for you. And it's super easy to do. So go to winefriend.co.nz, click on Get Started to fill out our fun questionnaire that helps me understand how you taste wine, choose a plan that suits your budget, choose your combo of red and whites, choose your delivery frequency, pop in your payment and delivery details, and then sit back and wait for a whole new world of wine to open up. And... If you use the word Yvonne as your promo code, that's Y-V-O-N-N-E, then you'll automatically receive an insanely excellent 24% off your first subscription case. Yes! So the plans are flexible, you're not locked into anything, you can buy more of the wines you love with a simple click or tap and become a wine friend. We'll all live happily ever after. Cheers! Okay, let's get back to the show. So, in this day and age, though, if you're a if you're a chippy, a builder, yeah, and someone and you, and 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 you announce that you're going to go, you're going to leave, you're going to move cities to um, be a musician, yeah, people would go, you're that's crazy, yeah. because obviously builders are earning coin, yeah. massive coin these days. Yeah. But still, it, it's it's reliable. It was it was steady. I imagine secure job. It's and then to then go into the music industry full time, or to, I don't know, I don't know, because it's just. I'm what that was guy. It like? I'm that guy. Okay. I'm so that guy. If something starts feeling, mm. like relationship-wise, if things start feeling like contrived, then you're not living. Yeah, it doesn't you're work. You're dying. <laughs> you know, so uh, work is the same for me. Yeah. And um. <sighs> So you were welcome in Auckland? You found you found your feet no. real quick? Hell no. No, we were abused hard. Oh no. Yeah. Because we were considered racist. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Our our view was considered racist. Okay. Even um. though I am Pahia. <laughs> yeah. Because um the media in the eighties took ear to stand proud, Kia Kaha say it loud was racist. So it's like NWA kind of backlash type stuff, you know? Yeah, well this is 87. Same yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Well, no, New Zealand got 
1990. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly, <laughs> yeah, yeah you yeah. know. But it was, um, no, we were nowhere near that. That was a bitch is a bitch, mm. um, you know, all that kind of shit. We, as yeah, young kids, was a little rough. <laughs> yeah, as young kids, we knew that we had grandmothers and nieces and nephews. Mm. So you don't want to fuck them off. No. Uh, no. It's okay fucking with the boys. You can laugh it off and say, yeah, I was young and I was a dick. <laughs> but yeah. your grandmother's going to remind you every day for the rest of your life how much of a dick you are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, exactly. We, like this is what happened in Upper Hutkins. We, Tuesday night, had a band meeting. We had an offer to go and see Murray Kamek in Auckland. Yeah. To us, Murray Kamek was like, fucking, oh, the god of New Zealand music because of Rip It Up Mag. Because of Rip It Up Mag yeah. and because of he had Southside and Wildside no, records at the time, or that was yet. down the track. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, we said, yeah, we've been asked to go meet this guy, and, and Kerry Buchanan was going to interview us, and that was fucking, we were shitting ourselves. Right. And Kerry Buchanan. Kerry Buchanan was a writer for Rip It Up. That's right. Yeah. And he was a well-respected musical journalist. So we decided, you know what? We should go to Auckland and stay and really make a go of it. There's no record companies in Wellington. There weren't. There was just the live venues were good. So we flipped a coin, six of us. Right? Heads, we stay in the Hutt Valley and live our lives. Tails, we move to the city and have a go as a band. Flip, slow motion. Tails. Within two days, we quit our jobs, sold up our shit. On the flip of a coin. Yeah, sold all my tools. I was full carpenter by this point. I sold a entire toolbox. And, um, Blood's just escort, pumping. Got an escort van and drove to Auckland. Ready to go, ready to rip. We got there. We did our first gig with Russell Brown was House Party at the Power Station in 1989. was the first time we stood on a real stage with a real PA and real monitors and a real crowd. And were you nervous as? Or was it, was it a rush? What was it like? What's, what's fantastic is you can see it online in Lost Archives of Nightclubs of Auckland Facebook. Love and Stuart Page... And his posse had 16 mil cameras and filmed the entire gig. And I've watched me rapping. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, not. I'm sure you were amazing. I wrote rhymes back in the day, but the two MCs in the band with me were both four foot nine. And talk like this. (laughs) And I had this voice. I did a couple of hunkers as a kid, so I've always had this voice. And it sounded like. Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know, so, <laughs> so I stopped rapping, so I stopped. I was writing rhymes, I, I was fucking Chuck D coming out with Yo Bum Rush the Show, I was like, yes, I'm allowed to do this. Mm. I have that voice, I'm allowed to do this. Before that, everyone else sounded not cheesy, but young. Very young, and Chuck, too clean. Yeah, and, mm. and limericky, and yeah. Chuck coming out just yelling, telling stories. Yeah, so there was hope for me, and then it was quickly abandoned, so that my two bros could rhyme that was their life I was I could move about I could play the drums okay I became a DJ so that's when that happened so yeah. so we got the DMs stood behind my mates and went <laughs> yeah did all that stuff <laughs> do that again <laughs> yeah so I became that guy now it's because of my outward disposition 
that I bloomed in Auckland City. Not so much for my friends in the band. Right. A couple of them moved along. But you wanted to get to know people, you wanted to... I just wanted to enjoy yeah. myself. Yeah, cool. Really, I just wanted to dance. In here and physically. For me, dancing in a room full of people together is like church for me. So I'm thinking back to um, around that time. So 1991, because I was still in high school here in Hastings. But I remember Hastings Girls. Oh, you went to Hastings? (laughs) Sacred. (laughs) Is that what you think when you look at me? Oh, my God. Hastings Girls High School all the way. (laughs) I was what? Hastings. I taught there. Did you? I was a school teacher at Hastings. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I taught art. Oh my! I love that school. I love. Oh, I heart Hastings girls. Um, best school. I loved it. Anyway, but I was there, and I remember. Um, so yes, I'd heard Upper Hut Posse because I worked in record shops here in Hastings. We okay. had two record shops. Yeah. And um, we're um, so I'd heard Upper Hut Posse, but then we also had. Um, like MCOJ and Rhythm Slave yeah. and um, the reggae bands, I mean, and all yeah. like New Zealand stuff was all that stuff. But it was Auckland. Yep. It was all coming yep. from from Auckland. And um, so, did you kind of connect into that scene? Like, yeah. did you meet them? And yeah. All, yep. Yeah. There was um, there was static between us and the Aucklanders because we were out of towners, and the scene was small. And who were we to come in and take you know the spots? So there was a lot of nasty shit. Sorry, I unplugged your thing there, Yvonne. It's all right. <laughs> this is where you can. This is where professional podcasters would just carry on. Yes, talking. yes. Yeah, well, I just had to um, <laughs> put our power in, or else we would have been. We would have died. Oh God! Because uh, we had our first ever early guest. <laughs> Everybody's usually late. Anyway, um, yeah, you guys were out of town or something. I'm five minute early going my whole life. Well done. <laughs> Rather than a minute late, I missed too many planes. And mm. I, uh, yeah, so it, but that, I, I was just curious about, yeah, how you kind of met and met with those people and also like um, you connected, I understand you connected with a person who is very, very dear to me, um, Dominic Nola. Oh, yeah. Early, yeah. early on. Yes. Yeah. So Dominic was. Um, I flattered with her, Dan. This is a great woman in Waipuna Street in Balmoral. Dominique. Dominique. Yeah. Dominic. We're just Dom. Yeah. She's just Dom Nola. Yeah. And she was program director at BFM. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back in the early 90s. Yeah. And she she gave you um, a, show. a show. Yeah. So the True School Hip Hop show started with you? With Dom. With, okay. I um, filled in for Dubhead, who went on a holiday. Mm hmm like a month so I filled in his show which was I could do because I was reggae music and then when I was doing a show I was playing um reggae rap crossovers it was called ragamuffin music back then so I played a lot of that because I like that stuff and um got good feedback on the show mm. and then I did stinky Jim show when he went away which is still going by the way stinky yeah. Jim yeah, yeah. The best reggae show in and the same thing happened because he, he had a different kind of audience to Dubhead. Dub had the um, classic dub listeners. In um, Jim was about new reggae. He was like a kind of like a David Rodigan type character. Mm. So I did his show when he went away, 
And the same thing happened, good responses. And that's when Dom was like, bro, would you like your own show? Fuck. Uh-oh. <laughs> Are you for real? <laughs> like on the radio, telling people yeah. how to think? Hell yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. You need a mic. Yeah. I know, bro, for the first year on my show, I didn't speak. Oh, I just yeah. played records. I just played the records in the yeah. ads until people complained. You want to know what the fuck a song is? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so fundamentals start, of being a radio host. So I started reading the back of the record cover, you know, on the year. Because I didn't believe that. I was humble fellow from here. What am I going to tell city folk? But, you know, you, and, at that time, when you're, when you're on the radio and you're, um, you're talking about, you're introducing people to hip-hop, tunes mm. and reading the backs of the record covers telling people who's producing this and yep. when it was released and who's on it and blah 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 yep. um in the background your your djing though had become like i was hearing your name as a dj mm. out and around yep. uh, around the traps yeah. this this daryl thompson character yeah. rather handy <laughs> with the two turntables and a microphone <laughs> yeah I, I, so how did that happen I kind of play different music to the bros. I play weird shit. Bambada was a DJ in hip hop and he played everything because the reason why hip hop was so fruity initially was because of this DJ selection. Um. He play all kinds of different stuff, not just nigger music, you know? And for me, getting people onto a dance floor, like I say, I live to dance, that's life. Life is a dance. Um, to get people on the dance floor and have them go there and all get into the, the the vibe together and then shift them. Take them two, three degrees in either direction away from what they like and what they know into a new space mm. is a gift. It's a gift. The more variety in your food, the better you live. It's the same thing. So, so as you know with making wine. It's not just one bottle of wine is going to make you the man. Uh, one flavor, yeah. One, yeah. one varietal. Yeah. Degree, yeah. So, the, so with DJing, I loved playing reggae music and cranking it into drum and bass and coming out into disco and then back into hardcore rap. Not rap that you hear, but something amazing that you haven't heard. Right. Yeah, and that shit, throwing people's... Um, throwing them out of their safety of alcohol, being in a group... Or becoming one and then shifting them is it's amazing to watch and feel and hear okay it's only DJs have this some a lot of DJs nowadays go from predictable like you know what's coming next that does nothing safe. for the soul no there's no risk involved um, the craziest thing about shifting it up when DJing is can you dance to this and watching people work it out yeah. And crack up. It's just the funniest <laughs> shit in the world, you know. So yeah, yeah. DJing for me is very sacred, and I ended up making the radio sacred by not dissing things. Um, I use it as an as two hours every Thursday night to make young brown kids feel better about themselves. And you would start and. It wasn't just you though, you had a team, like yeah, there, was, yeah, yeah. there was Severe, there was... Yeah. Um, I was a dad of two babies, I couldn't, couldn't I'm do on call for my family. Mm. So yeah, I've got stunt doubles. <laughs> 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 now Severe was very, 
serious stunt double because he worked at a record store. Bro, new music every week. I was a so I was a dad with one income. It was like one record a week. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, but you had a, all that history though too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was um professional hunter yeah. of sounds. So, yeah. So I choos- I wonder, my Tuesdays was like seven different venues to uh, dig. Obviously vinyl like sonically delivers in such a way that other if it's uh, set up correctly. If it's set up correctly mm-hmm. medium. Yeah. But the one thing about vinyl CDs were okay with this, but the size of the vinyl and the fact that you could read the liner notes, I just remember being obsessed with that. And you sound like you were exactly the same. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like complete. I get so frustrated with the streaming, and you go, yeah. "Who's playing the bass on this track?" Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I want to look it up, and you can't find it. And it's like they took away. And the thing that I was obsessed with as a kid is like you would turn the the record over, and sometimes you keep seeing the same names, yeah. and you go, "Who's?" That guy must be the. How does he end up playing saxophone on the Stones and the Mad Men and Englishmen? You know, and like he and who is this dude? You know, yeah, yeah. And uh, or this producer, it's another dimension. Engineer, you're entering another dimension then as well. And 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 then you start going, oh, I heard that uh, this guy produced this other band here. Well, I'm going to check out that other band because he produced (laughs) somebody else that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't see that anymore. Yeah, yeah. This um. I, I, on my Facebook and that, I still do it. I still show people this because I know there's new people all the time who are entering that dimension, you know, mm. and you can take them there. Like the guy who wrote um, all of Michael Jackson's stuff and Heatwave and Casey and the Sunshine Band. And I can play easily an hour and a half of this one producer and everyone will dance to every song and it's, each song's a different artist. Yeah, but His it's that secret Rod. source of the producer. This guy Rod Templeton wrote... In yeah. the 70s, right? It's Everyone's crazy. shit. Yeah, it's yeah. It's crazy. Templeton's out. out yeah, yeah. Outrageous. P- people like him. See, my, my heroes was, um, like, I made my music based on um, Norman Whitfield. Now, Norman Whitfield produced The Temptations and all these. It was basically when Motown discovered weed and acid. Okay? <laughs> so Motown was Smokey Robinson and all of them <laughs> and all the shaky tambourine and the let's all just pray and the gospel kind of soul stuff. Then um, Norm Woodfield and them started smoking weed and made a psychedelic shack and shit like this. Amazing. Stuff their public enemy sampled and... Yeah. You know, so I'm on the back of the public enemy record in 1990, like, sampled from psychedelic shack, but right, I'm going into the records, I'm going to find it. Find it. Yeah, yeah, that kind of shit. I did a little quick homework on it because I didn't have a lot of time um, from when Yvonne told me we were doing this. Yeah, just a little bit. I'm also a father of two children. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm with but, you. Uh, You're a now between the toilet yeah, and bed. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, uh, I discovered, because um, I, you know, I knew a few tracks and I knew about the sort of, uh, the hip-hop influence or the hip-hop, of, you know, or the, the rap and that. Mm. But immediately when you start listening to any track that you seem to be involved in there's a lot of soul music in there it's mostly what I hear mm. and it's immediately relatable to, to a guy from Philadelphia where all mm. that soul music comes so out of and, 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 and it's like yeah. it's just crazy to come you know to the other side of the world yeah. and, and you know I'm not talking you know no I fully yeah. understand right and, and, and you start hearing this it's like rugby and penguins what's hip hop doing here <laughs> <laughs> I haven't it, heard that one, but I'm using it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I tell people in America, I'm from where the penguins are from. Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't know. I just found that really cool and going like, oh, I could talk to this guy really easy. Probably talk for hours about music. Yeah, know? weird. weird. So, um, Philly's huge, this. Yeah, the Philly, that Philly mm. sound and yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, I've collected the whole Philly vibe of, mm. you know, stacks, Philly, all that stuff. Teddy Pendergrass. It, you know? Yeah, bro. And it's only for Teddy one. Teddy Pendergrass. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's only for one bar. I'm not looking for one bar, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I have to learn the entire catalogue to find the bar. Yeah. Oh, you just can't get away from it when you grow up there. Like, you're, uh, hey. it's in your veins, you oh, know. Shit. Did so, you get to travel? Did you do much travel in, oh, um, I as a musician? Oh, I lived in New York. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lived in Europe. And I mean, lived as in more than three months. Mm, mm. I wanted to... Um, like with hip hop, there was something missing, and it was the smell. Right. I had the visual, I had the sound, I had the, you know, it was all given to us on a platter. And I, I mean that very secretly because since 1970s, I looked at the backgrounds of films. I looked at with the neighborhood, what cars they had. I looked at the state of the place. And I watched graffiti grow mm. from watching American films. That's, hip hop wasn't like, we didn't want to be hip-hop. It was served to us on Sesame Street and Letcher Company and as a child. That's true. We, mm. were, we, were, we weren't rapping and breakdancing, but we were all heading in the same direction. Mm. And that is... Um, when in, the, in the 90s, when I was asked, why do you want to be a black American by my people? <laughs> I told them it's not, I don't want to be a black American at all. It's probably the last thing I want to be. Um, but I do wish that they could come here. Mm. You know, that was our wish. Was Come all my favorite rappers in New York who are rhyming about how difficult life is for them? Man, I wish they could come here because we could. There's heaps of room. There's heaps of room. And that's what. That's <laughs> come and what, observe. <laughs> that's what our, our admiration and respect for hip hop was. You poor motherfuckers. Mm. Not condescending. No, no, we're in a fight too. You poor motherfuckers. And when I heard the message. It was like, if I closed my eyes, it was here. It's like, yeah, that happens to us. Yeah, that happens to us. Yeah, that shit happens to us. And hearing this song for the first time shifted me again. Like, right, I'm going to do something about it. These guys have got the, the balls to stand up in white America and say that shit. Then I, that empowers me. I can do it here. Mm. Yeah. So it's never been a race thing here. It's just been about injustice, inequality, and inequity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you um, know, we we didn't. Um, Maori folk in Aotearoa didn't decide to be poor. We were made poor, okay, yeah. by the disenfranchisement of our culture and our land. But now, you still get the people that say, "Oh, do you know what? You get to a certain age when you bloody well make your own decisions, ain't it? Yeah. Doesn't matter where you come from or what you're doing. You bloody well go and you you just you know make a good fist of life, eh? Yeah. Don't blame your bloody background." Yeah. <gasps> Can you t- yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. Dar- I just so, so I come from this shit, cause Ugh. I come from Marunui and Omahu. My dad left my mum because she was violent because mm. she was abused. Because of mismanagement of alcohol and culture and mm. and all of these lies that my grandparents were told. So yeah, I decided to stop it all. Stop all their frustration, guilt, um, all that stuff. How do you not be guilty? Don't be a cunt. No. <laughs> and channel energy into a, a creative, find yeah. some way of, yeah. you know, yeah. 
making it visual, audio, yeah, audio, so audio, audio. I had an amazing sure. brother. My brother's two years older than me, George Naku. He, he was an amazing father figure to me, a teacher. And I mean that, and he challenged me regularly as a child to better myself. Okay. And then he led by example. So yeah, I owe my brother everything. But I don't, because I've done heaps for him since then. Yes, so? Hey. <laughs> We're square, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. yeah, so um, the, the whole DLT vibe has been about just enjoy yourself. Do you know what? My favourite memory of, um, of you is, because I was working at BFM in, I think it was 95. Oh, yeah. 1995. You got out of control then. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, I think it was you and Shay came up to BFM with a DAT, mm. a DAT tape, and went in to see Bill Curtin, who was oh. the program director yeah. at B at the time. And he walked in and, and was like, play this. Cause, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was something like there was some discussion had in his office. There was a look because I think he was in the middle of something and you wanted him to listen to it right then and there. And he was busy, yeah. but he was like, ah. Oh. And then someone said, you've got to turn it up. And he was a lot sure. He was like, we're in an office. I can't just. And then because we I was a sales rep and a radio announcer in that. And we were in the, another part of the office. But there was all this commotion going on near Bill's corner. Mm. And then suddenly, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, the song dun, came on. Dun, it comes out Listen. of the office, and we were like, oh, it was like this wave of bodies just like got to get to Massive. that part of the office to listen. What is this song? And it just, it, uh, cool the, the energy, it must be you. I mean, how was the energy for that song? It was you, when you put out Chains with Shay. It cured me of all of my childhood in one fucking go, just like that. How? I was so proud of myself. It was ridiculous. I've never been proud of me. Why? <laughs> I'm from a solo parent from the hood. There's nothing to be proud of. And that song changed everything. Everything. What's why I say this, cuz, is because I didn't make this song to be a number one song. I made this song to heal kids from inner city Auckland. Mm. The urban poly kids. Like, I grew up here. There was only Māoris. I got to Auckland and it was... Kilda. What? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, are you not a Māori? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, like, when I got to Auckland in, like, 1989, the last thing you wanted to be in Auckland was a Māori. And when I, I was brown from Polynesia, I was Kilda too. We're like... <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, what the fuck? So you got to learn town. all about this whole new... Yeah, there's a complete yeah. new system of dealing yeah so um chains just sorted that all out see what i did because there was when i got to auckland there was Samoans hated tongans from some bullshit story that a pakeha had told them about you don't like each other and, and back in the day you used to paddle to each other's islands and rape all the women and kill each oh, other for sake. yeah yeah so they had this grief this beef and it was legit okay it was legit i, I saw it in the tag world in the graph world Fuck off, Tongans, fuck off, Samoans, all that stuff. So I was like, oh shit, damn. Not only do we have to fix them, we have to fix our mm. relationship with them as well. And I'm talking now on a street level. Mm. Okay? So, like, the likes of Flaxmere Shopping Centre, you know, on that level. 
But this is, I'm talking, I'm dealing with Papa Toy Toy and fucking Ranui and Henderson and Sandringham and all these places. Um, I'd become the voice of the generation through the True School radio show. So, yeah, let's address this. At the time, Severe and Slavenham were like, will you shut up with your political shit? We're trying to enjoy ourselves here. I'm like... You do your shit, Tiger Let's Woods. Solve the political <laughs> shit. <laughs> you do your thing, Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a state Chuck D, all right? I just think that, you know, if it's, yeah, at that time, like, I don't know, Dan, about whether you, are there any, when it comes to Kiwi, like New Zealand iconic songs, are there any lyrics that have, that stick out for you from any well, songs? Anything? I, I don't know. It's really tough because I think when you're with music, particularly, it's a, it's a certain age, you know, mm. like when you are, start to be 11, 12, 13 mm. years old, yeah, yeah. you know, prime you, are, for it, eh? you, are, you, you, you just a sponge. Yeah. And then, yeah. so that music just sticks to you and you scream it out in any way you can, if you love music or even if you're just a regular mm. kid. Yeah. So maybe into your twenties a little bit, but I moved here when I was 31, Right. you know, so I had this whole other foundation of music and things mm. and so I appreciate what's great and what's really good and what mm. I like and what I you know and, and things like that and I can mm. sense oh yeah I know you know like I said when I listen to your music mm. I can hear so many different cool things in there but I'd be lying if I said yeah. there was something that was like oh man that, that yeah just, that, I guess yeah, what I'm really, trying to really, get really, at yeah. is like you know when you think about the iconic New Zealand songs you th- and you think about these lyrics that sort of stick out there's like there's the obvious ones like um you know, drink yourself more bliss. Um, I'll stick with you, kid. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, thinking about you, thinking about me, thinking <laughs> about you, counting. About you. I mean, when yeah. you heard, I've got Cyclops shit in my water. <laughs> I mean, Pacific lambs to the slaughter. Pacific lambs to the slaughter. Oh, There's so much fun writing this shit. Did you, like? Did you write that line? Did Shane? You wrote that line. Oh. You think about the beginning of the song, it goes, oh Come God. test me like a bomb straight from Murudor. How come I've got Cyclops fish in my water? A nation of Pacific lands to the slaughter. Three eyes for my son, Regan. An extra foot for my daughter, Anya. So those are my kids in their song. Shay was a, a child himself. He was. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote most of it. He wrote the chorus. Yeah. Um, Shay was a young guy who wasn't a street rapper. He was a singer. He was a singer. He wanted to rap. From Supergroup. So yeah. I wrote his rhymes and said, here, say this and take it away and add to it because it needs you. If you're going to own this and say it, it needs you in it. So you take half of my verse and blend parts of his into it. And you were really, really happy with how it came out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. sound. It was um, a great gift for me. And it was, I truly believe, because that because I've lived the co-papa of caring for the children that aren't here yet, that I get bonuses from ancestral intervention. Mm, mm. Okay? I truly believe it. Anything I want to do, I do. No one stops it. And most of the times it comes out exactly how I wanted it to. And now you're a painter. So I you... always was. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. I, no, I, and I don't know, apart from the graffiti, Yeah. I don't know if people realise that you are an incredible painter. <laughs> like and you now you live in Hastings yeah. or uh, no we're about to, you're here in Hawke's Bay, um, Hastings flex me I don't know we, we, we'll 
Yeah. <laughs> Customers trying to come into the yeah, shop. Yeah, the wine's that good. They're <laughs> trying to break good. in. Uh, they're trying to break <laughs> While in. While we're in here. Um, but you're, you're a painter and you're exhibiting um, things all the time. And yeah. how much... Yeah, Dan's going to talk to a customer. We're just going to keep talking if that's no, all right. No, she wants that customer. Um, so, like, how, like, you decided, leave Auckland, come back to Hawke's Bay. We've found out why, yeah, you know. Yeah, look after mum. And... To go headlong into your art, <laughs> like, does that, do you... F- what happens was, um, before I left music, I had to say to myself, what am I going to do? Right. Shall I give away the creative freedom of having my own universe and become a robot for someone? And have safety, sure, why not? And have safety <laughs> in um, having regular income and so forth? Mm. Um, or what am I going to do? Because I decided to stop music because there was what I considered 16 slots in the New Zealand music industry and I'd had one for eight years. Right. So I'm out of there. Give it to someone else. Okay. I wanted to walk away from it rather than... It'd be push, push you out. Well, no, what no? I could see was a lot of dudes from my generation shaving their heads and wearing Jordans and trying to stay relevant. Whereas what you're doing is you're actually mismanaging your life to the point where you're not present. You're, you're in the past. And you're <sighs> stuck there. And there's so many people stuck in that world. Oh my God, I think that's my life, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Then I, to- then I totally... <laughs> you haven't you know, shaved your head yet. Don't people. What, <laughs> um, what I saw was Yannick Noah, right? Yes. The tennis player. Mm-hmm. And he went out when he was number one and... Like the Fed and mainly the tennis stars. Okay. They they've got a good way of doing it. I won, see you later. They do. And that's cool. You're always the number one guy. But if you end up playing like fifth, and then seventh, and then eleventh, yeah, yeah. it's like it's a sad demise, you yeah, know. You don't want a sad demise. No. Not that you could ever have a sad demise, well, but I, I could, can sort of I see. I could easily. I could. Okay. If I got too into me, right. I wouldn't like me, you know. Yeah, so I had to stick to the co-papa. The co-papa is my grandchildren's children. That's how I say it. Now, when they're 17 and set out on their journey, and then you get to my age now and you meet your grandchildren, there's the double backflip. You look into their eyes and they're looking straight at you like, fuck, I trust your ass. Yeah. <laughs> You're you. Yeah. You're not being someone else, Kuro. Yeah. So I'm Kuro. That's it. <laughs> You know, and I, I fucking, I'm the luckiest man alive because of that. Now, these children are not of my blood. These are my in, my, my stepchildren's children. Yeah. But they call me Koro. That's the most magic shit you could ever be called. So lovely. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. So lovely. It's, it's all romantic and beautiful. But what, it's very serious at the same time because I want those little hooers to change the world. And I've left them how I did it. And it's in paintings and it's in music and it's in... So they're constantly... Like, i just done a series of 19 paintings of my wife, right? All different for the grandkids. Wow. And their kids. So, so there's going to be these tonga of this Māori lady with a moko hanging in these houses and they're going to go, who's that? Well, that's my great-grandma. Wow, that's cool. Who painted that? My great-grandfather did because he loved her. Bam, we won. The kids know what they come from. That's that's the joyful shit of being 
your own universe. That's the joyful shit of being your own universe, Dan. <laughs> I'm not sure we can top that. We might have to. Uh, I don't think we can top that. Wrap it up there. I think we. I think we can wrap it up cool, there. Eh? But we do need to ask where, um, because you create these incredible paintings, and mm. they're usually large, very powerful, um, impactful. Weird yeah. word, but I like it. You know, it sort of yeah. fits. It, it hits with this one. Where can people? see your work or and they're on um, on my instagram page okay what's your no, i only put them handle? up for like five days and i take them off because i don't want to be a tosser okay <laughs> 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 um it's just daryl dlt thompson if you want to have a look at my stuff you have to become my friend and um, I'm pretty open to people. Yeah, I, because I that's your, think. you're from Hawke's Bay. Yeah, word. And, you know, word. the sun makes you open to people. It sure does, Kaz. It sure does. Like so many of us from here. Yeah. There's so many of us. I know, um, I probably know 15 to 20 people in Hastings who can match me in anything. Mm. It's an attitude. It is. Yeah. <laughs> So here's my latest shit. This is what I was painting at one o'clock this morning. Stop it. If, um, it's like, the, it's slash, it's like timber. It's a picture of like timber, um, wood slash with beautiful eels sliding, yeah. slipping through it with yeah. this beautiful light so in the huge. background. So yeah. about the floods, the Cyclone Gabriel yeah. floods that ripped through yeah. our province and so people can see that on your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Right, we're going to wrap it up because Dan's got customers actually Apparently. at the door. No, she actually had the wrong place. <laughs> I'm coming into your cafe and I'm like, we're a tasting room. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm at the wrong place. And I was like, oh. Classic. I would have made her buy a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What I was trying to say, but we, oh. but wait. Yeah, this is better than coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Um, All right, guys. Daryl, thank you so, so much. Cool. We have just, we have just milked you for everything and it's such a privilege to spend time with you and talk with you and find out all that stuff yeah. all and that for good those stuff. Uh, listening overseas and just go to YouTube man check this guy out there's heaps of stuff up there I'm just working my way through it you know? and, yeah <laughs> yeah it's um, amazing to hang and chat like this because we do have a lot of history I remember you at, um, at Festival Records. Yeah, back yeah. in the days when yeah. you could smoke cigarettes at your yeah, desk. Yeah, you go and Friday and get on the piss there. Exactly, and, yeah. Fridays in the um, in the boardroom. Yeah. And we'd all play um, beta max, beta tapes of yeah. um, music. Yeah, good video. shit. Good yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> I, I made compilation videotapes from those. So oh, good, so good. So good. Yeah, I, I might barnstorm you and come listen to some vinyl one day. Yeah. If you, yeah. Like, if you let me. Well, I'm kind of going to do Sunday afternoons at Bare Knuckle. Nice. Oh, cool. And that's kind of like a cruisy thing. I can play miles and stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know. And um, sometimes I jam at Common Room. Right. Sometimes. Well, now we know each other. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we're from Hawke's Bay and that's we get right. to know each other. All right. Yeah, Thank sleep. you. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, ballers. Thanks for listening. We are keen as for your comments um, and hey, ideas for fantastic folk that could be great for us to interview are always welcome. So contact us by email at baseofourlivesmail at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram. 
Bays of Our Lives is biodynamically produced by Daniel Brennan at Decibel Wines and Whole Bunch Pressed by Yvonne Morgan.